Hey, everybody, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard and man does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these podcast episodes. My name is Mitch Schultz. I am your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Well, hey, we are back after a long pause. In fact, I think the last time I put out a fresh podcast, it has been probably three months, maybe four months. And I'm going to blame COVID on that, like everybody else blames COVID on on everything else. (laughs) But uh, seriously, I felt that pastors and church leaders were distracted and uh, so much of what they had to do had to, you know, hap- had to happen on, on media platforms. And I felt like another uh, media uh, provision would be a distraction to that. And uh, I think we're on the other side of that. Hopefully the attention span is back. Um, let me share with you, because it's really interesting how this podcast turned out. I, I was asking around back in February or so if someone knew someone that I could interview on the subject of addiction and mainly addiction to opiates, um, uh, you know, alcoholism, things like that, and how the church should understand it, respond to it, how the church can be a healing community for people suffering from, from addictions like this. And so someone recommended me, our guest today, his name is Pastor Mark Danzi, and I sat with Mark. We met in a neutral location only because it was halfway from our uh, two places where we lived, and as we began the conversation, uh, the addiction we ended up talking about mostly was pornography. And that was, in fact, the whole conversation. And I think that was good because I, I think this is a needed conversation. It's one that few are willing to talk about. Now, mind you, I would like to uh, do a podcast soon on the issue of addictions in, in other arenas. Um, but this is a topic we need to be talking about. The church needs to talk about this. I, I sat down with a young man some time ago who said something like this to me. He said, Mitch, it's weird to me that this is probably the biggest struggles that young men face, but it's the one thing that we talk the least about. And so we're going to talk about that today with Pastor Mark Dancy. Uh, But let me introduce him to you real quickly. He's been in pastoral counseling for 25 years. He loves his work. In the last 10 years, he's been working with couples in various scenarios from premarital counseling to crisis counseling. Uh, He's got a ministry We'll give this website called um, WellPath uh, Counseling, and he does mediation, um, you know, difficult situations towards peaceful and amicable resolution. Uh, he's a certified civil, domestic, and divorce mediator. He has a, an MA in pastoral ministries and ordained in the United Methodist Church. Uh, you're going to find this interview very, very um, intriguing, uh, very challenging, uh, maybe for you personally, but also in your leadership as you chur- as as uh, leader in your church on on maybe how your church could be addressing this issue in a more real and honest way. So let's go jump into that conversation right now with Mark Danzi. All right, it is my uh, privilege here to have across the round table Mark Danzi. Mark, thanks for being part of this. Thank you for having me. Uh, this is a first. You actually interviewed me for your podcast. I did. I did. <laughs> and we great. just wrapped up with that. Yeah. So I think we have to be reminded of what our topic is here, right? Yeah, yeah of course, of course. <laughs> Stay on track. Yeah, but you were kind enough to uh, allow me. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to work out the logistics of your podcast being put on my uh, website, so we'll see how that works we'll out. We'll swap. Yeah, you haven't talked about any price or negotiating anything here. So. <laughs> that comes later. All right. Uh, so we're specifically going to be talking today about understanding addiction, and uh, those who listen to the podcast know that my audience are pastors, church leaders, and people who love the church. Mm-hmm. And again, this is just another opportunity for the church to understand something that is common, uh, not to hide under a rock, not mm-hmm. to ignore the reality that there's probably a good chance that many people in your congregation are struggling with this. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. I'd love to. And uh, you were referred to me, recommended to me. I asked the professor at the Toko Falls College, hey, do you know of anybody who can speak to this? And they mentioned you. So tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, how you ended up doing what we're going to be talking about today. Love to hear a little bit about your journey. Yeah, I've been in ministry over 25 years in the Atlanta area, different roles from youth ministry to associate to worship leaders. I think I've done about every role in the church at some point. 
Um, but several years ago, as a pastor, I would find myself working with uh, families, young men, um, couples who had experienced all kinds of crisis and things. And I, this, this uh, thematic of sexually compulsive behavior was, I was starting to see it a lot more, of course. And then we've all known of pastors who have, you know, uh, had issues in ministry and in their personal life that's affected their ministry. And as a pastor, I just didn't know how to help them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd pray and refer. I was Mr. Referral. Oh, you got an issue? Mm-hmm. I'd refer them here, refer them there. And so um, I was going to um, the, this uh, ministry uh, thing called uh, Street Grace in Atlanta, because Atlanta is known as a hub for sexual trafficking, uh, specifically the Atlanta airport. And so I was hearing these stories, and I would go to these ministries, uh, luncheons and all, and hear about how, um, you know, just this big issue was. And what all I was hearing about was the supply I wasn't hearing about the demand. Mm-hmm. And so um, I would, at the end, I would ask the leaders these questions. Okay, so I know, how can we help? And they would say, well, basically just fund us. <laughs> and um, go back to your churches because a lot of the demand for sexual um, trafficking in Atlanta, they would say, comes from the north part of Atlanta. You know, the wealthier part, hmm. the suburban parts of Atlanta. And so as Atlanta Airport was being used as a hub for young girls to be trafficked in the Atlanta area. Um, So just go back to your churches and to the organizations that you run around in North Atlanta and just tell the men to stop it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I thought, boy, that's not a very good strategy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it felt like uh, with the issues around sexual uh, trafficking that there was a supply answer you know, working with these girls, trying to help these girls get out of this industry, trying to give them hope and a future and all that. But there was nothing being done with the demand side. Hmm. And, of course, I had no clue how to do that because I had only been to seminary and learned how to study the Bible and pray for people and preach <laughs> sermons and stuff. So in my individual disciple work and my counseling work, um, I just felt very ill-equipped. And one day as we do, you know how you get emails as a pastor about different things. I saw this email come across uh, my my desk, and it just said, um, learn how to spot sexual addiction in your congregation. Wow. And I thought, now that's a specific Yeah, and that's what, that's what we need. That's what I'm calling for is for the church to understand these things, but also to know what to do about it. Right. So I said, I'll go to that. It's mm-hmm. 10 to 2. There's lunch. I'll probably go and see if it's interesting. If not, I'll get the lunch and then mm-hmm. probably leave. <laughs> Well, this woman got up to speak, and she was from Pine Grove Behavioral Center in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And it's where Tiger Woods went and spent 90 days. Hmm. And, it, you know, Tiger Woods, uh, the golfer who came out as a sex addict on national television, kind of took the taboo off of it a little mm-hmm. bit. So mm-hmm. I didn't really like him as much before that. I actually mm-hmm. have more respect for mm-hmm. him now than I did then. Because everybody else would go hide to get work on this issue. Yeah. He came out and did a press conference about yeah. it. And so after listening to uh, this woman present how to spot sexual addiction in your congregation as a pastor, the content she was sharing, Mitch, I'd never heard this stuff. This was brand new material for mm-hmm. me. I'd never read a book on this. I'd never heard a sermon on this. And I was just like a sponge. Uh, it was probably it went out the email probably went out to 2000 pastors there were 12 of us mm. Mm. <laughs> there and um, and I get it but I looked at the man in front of me that was sitting with his back to me and I said uh, gosh where can I hear more do you, do you do you find this as interesting as I do he turned around he said I do I didn't know who he was mm-hmm. and I said um, where can I hear more of this you know and he said well I would just go ask her um, he said and I found out later he's Dr. Steve Harris, who's been working with sexual addiction for 25 years as, as a therapist in Atlanta. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, he was he was deferring, wasn't he? He was deferring. <laughs> and so I went to her, and she said, well, you should contact this organization called ITAP, which is the International Institute for Trauma and Addiction Professionals. Mm-hmm. And so I called him, and before you know it, I am now on a track for certification as a pastoral sexual addiction counselor. Uh, I did workshop. I did my training in San Francisco, um, in Secaucus, New Jersey, St. Louis. I spent uh, over a year uh, just in reading and research and training. Uh, it, my last module of training wound up being in Arizona, at the University of Arizona. Um, 
and uh, just opened my eyes in a way. I felt like I've been kicked through a portal hmm. because now I was starting to it was changing the way I preached. It changed the way I discipled. It changed the way I talked with men who had sexually compulsive behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just opened me up to a world that I think most pastors, Bible teachers, disciplers just aren't familiar with enough to know what to do. And so from that, I just started getting referred. People started coming to me, men who struggled with sexually compulsive behavior. And uh, this has been years now. I just work with them on an individual basis. I would see couples who were divorcing. And as you know, in a church, when a couple divorces, they one of them gets the church in the divorce, mm-hmm. right? And I would say, you know, they would say, pray for my marriage. Well, what's going on with your marriage? And, well, we're struggling. Well, what are your struggles? You know, and you kind mm-hmm. of start peeling mm-hmm. back the layers. And you'd find out that oftentimes the third leading cause of divorce in the United States is sexual sexual problems. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it's sexually compulsive behavior. Someone had an affair. Someone's been flirting. Someone met an old friend on Facebook and it started, uh, you know, those types of things. And they didn't know how to get help from that. Mm-hmm. So uh, just all my training has, I feel like, has equipped me to speak to the heart of the issue and kind of erase some of the taboo around it. Here's the thing. If you have a struggle with alcohol addiction, you know where to go. You go to AA. Mm-hmm. If you have a struggle with sexual addiction, who do you talk it's, to? It's not as, pr- yes, yeah, so you don't have support groups, uh, AA that are as easily uh, accessible or, or yeah. promoted. Yeah. So, so people, it just becomes a secret mm-hmm. until the secret comes out. And so most of the people that come to see me have already hit the wall. Uh, usually a man doesn't come to see me to get help or counseling uh, until they're in some deep pain. Hmm. And so then we're doing recovery work as well as, <laughs> you know, addiction work. And so it's, uh, it's usually a two or three uh, pronged approach, you know, because now they may have lost their job or their church or their ministry or their wife. And they're trying to work on recovery at the same time, and so it can be very tedious. So um, it, it's helped. I mean, it, it seemed like there was a, a a deep interest on your part earlier. You you found how prevalent it is, but also by by attending this meeting and then being certified, you mm-hmm. you saw how extensive it is. Yeah. Uh, what did you learn about uh, from this? Uh, how well the church is doing, not doing, and and providing support. I mean, what, what's your what's your heart, your burden for the church in this? Because this is my interest here: is how how can the church culture, the pastor leadership, uh, allow this to be something where guys can say, "Hey, I'm struggling," and it's not a taboo, or they're not gonna. I mean, maybe they need to step away from leadership, but there's always that fear mm-hmm. that if I let anybody know that this is going on, I'm gonna have to step down. Yeah. I mean, what, where are you at with that? What have you seen? <clears throat> well, I am limited on the churches I've seen. Mm-hmm. So there may be churches out there that are doing dynamic work. Uh, the churches, uh, right now, the answer churches have is to start a group on a Tuesday night in the basement where men can come <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and pray nobody sees them walk into that meeting, you know. And, right, I agree. I and agree. there's a workbook, and we just kind of, you know, and, and, and do, do the 12 steps. So the 12 mm-hmm. steps is done in AA. is also done in SA. Um, and so men would walk those steps. Mm-hmm. The pastor, um, the associate pastors, th- those types of things, they really don't know what to say to a man oftentimes to help them get to that next place. Mm-hmm. So initially in my work, I, I never set out to, to do this long-term work, this therapy with people. I set out to become a better referrer, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. have a little more lingo, a yeah. little more understanding, so that when I referred them, after they sat with me and confessed, you know, their issues, uh, they felt like, okay, that didn't kill me. I can mm. move on to the next one, right? Versus just saying, oh, before you go too deep, let me refer you. So yeah. I think I think pastors, first off, get a little awareness around what this issue is. Uh, it's all throughout the Bible. It's all th- Listen, if Solomon and David had as many wives as they had, mm-hmm. and on top of that had concubines, mm-hmm. They had a misunderstanding of how God created sex and what sex was all about. So from the beginning of time through now, men specific I'll just speak to men for this, have struggled with what sex really is. Mm-hmm. And so it can be seen as transactional. 
And so I would encourage the church to uh, begin to read some books on sexually compulsive behavior, sexual addiction. Um, there are uh, to do a sermon series on it. Uh, now you have to be careful, of mm-hmm. course. You know, if there's children in the mm-hmm. room and parents would get upset because you told my kid learned about sex from the pastor's sermon and <laughs> not mm-hmm. from them. But I think there are ways that it can you can throw things into your sermon that would let a man know, hey. You know, there is a place of help and healing for you. You don't have to keep this a secret. Because here's the thing. Uh, Secrets uh, fuel shame, and shame fuels addiction. Mm -hmm. So if you're keeping a lot of things secret in your life, you're going to be dealing with a lot of shame in your life. Well, shame is not in God's economy. And shame will then fuel addiction. So you're not going to just secretly, quietly deal with this addiction on your own. God didn't wire us that way. He said, confess your sin one to another Mm -hmm. and you'll be healed. Mm -hmm. He didn't say, just white-knuckle this thing until it goes away. It's not going to go away. It's going to expose you. Yeah, it's, it's like we talked about in, in the previous podcast where you interviewed me. We yeah. talked about discipleship, that uh, people do not grow. They, 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 they're not discipled without the help of others. Right. You know, you don't leave a child on its own to grow, and neither do you leave a child on its own to be corrected, you know, to be disciplined. It, it involves others. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I haven't seen too many people that have uh, owned this on their own and recovered on their own. Here's a, I'm, I'm gonna ask a couple blunt questions Please. here. Um, a pastor himself or a church leaders are also struggling with this and they're asked for help. What do you do? What do you say to them? Because for me, one of the uh, years ago, one of the purifying qualities in this arena has been I want to be I want to be healthy when people come to me for help. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's there's something about that, that that even if my son ever comes to me and asks me, I want to be able to say to him, mm-hmm. "Hey, I'm doing okay with this." Right. You know. Now it, it is also uh, it, if a dad does struggle and the son says, "Hey, dad." Um, you know, do you struggle with this? I, I think there is some benefit in saying, yeah, I, you know, this is not easy. This is a real thing that men face. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think one of the motivators for me is I, I want to be able to say, uh, yeah, I'm doing good here. And I think the pastor maybe is reluctant sometimes to help because he himself is struggling. And maybe this is one of the reasons why they defer. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. The person with experience has always got a better platform for impact than the person with no experience. Okay. And if you're a man, this is, this is I'm going to quote James Dobson here, who's fairly mm-hmm. uh, respected. He, he said, um, you know, that 90, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to clean this up for your audience. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, 90, both of them are adults. And so they're, okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> he said, 96% of all men have had issues with lust at mm-hmm. some point in their life, mm-hmm. 96%. Mm-hmm. And the other four are lying through their teeth. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're a man, mm-hmm. you have had challenges around lust. Mm-hmm. It's okay. God has wired us with a, uh, you know, sex is invented by God. Mm-hmm. And so to just think that it's always been pure in the confines of marriage and that it's just, it's not always been that way for men. And so mm-hmm. men were exposed to pornography young. Nearly every young man is exposed to the female body and has, is, it starts developing what we call an arousal template early on. And in that arousal template, uh, there are certain types of women, scenarios, situations that even if a man's not trying to be aroused, he is aroused by mm-hmm. that, okay? And in that can come a lot of confusion because immediately we can feel like, oh gosh, I find that woman attractive, or that woman in my congregation attractive, or if this woman asks me to come to the hospital because she's having surgery, or this woman, if, if I find this woman attractive, I'm actually going to find myself excited going to visit her at the hospital. You, the, the private life of the pastor begins to develop shame in his life, okay? And he doesn't know where to go for help. He doesn't know who to talk to. He doesn't feel safe enough. Mm-hmm. It's going to affect his career, his family, everything. And so in a lot of ways, this inner battle, uh, Steve Arterburn wrote a book called Every Man's Battle. Mm-hmm. What does that title tell you? It's, it's a battle that every man faces. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Except for this one guy. <clears throat> yeah. No, it's every man's battle. So it's okay to admit to another man that you have struggled with sexual temptation, with lust, with uh, uh, your thought life. Okay. If, and, and so I think that 
Now, you've got to do it in a trusted environment. You've got to do it in people that can mm-hmm. handle that kind of information, all right? So I would prayerfully consider who it is you could, who's mature enough to handle that in a way that can help you get healing. And so there's a thing that we administer um, called an SDI. It's, a, it's an assessment. And what it does is it basically, um, it's a scale. And so if a man scores, say, 0 to, to 30, okay, uh, if you score 0 to 6, it means you're a red-blooded American male who, you know, you see a pretty girl and you think something, but you'd never take it any farther than that. Mm-hmm. And you're not, you know, you're not comparing her to your wife or anything like that. You're just, it's just, you're every man, it's every man's battle. <laughs> if you score somewhere between a 6 and a 12, I said 30, I meant 20. If you score anywhere between a 6 and a 12, you've got some problematic behavior there that if unchecked, you this could become harmful to you. It could destroy your witness. Mm-hmm. It could destroy your marriage. It could destroy your ministry. If you score, uh, say, 13 to 20, you need some help. You need, you need to talk to a counselor. You may need inpatient treatment. You may need outpatient treatment. You've got problems. And so a lot of men don't know where they stand on the spectrum. Mm. They don't know if my thought life is better or worse than somebody else's thought life, especially if men never talk about that. Okay. Now, they may never tell the vulgar joke at the party or do the triple take on some waitress that they think is hot or something like that, and they assume, well, then I don't struggle like mm-hmm. this guy did because he did it. But the secret private thought life of a pastor, look, we all have the, w- the capacity of a wicked heart. <laughs> we just do. I don't care what you do for a living. And if you don't have a place to really process that, it's, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And so that w- that's what I would say to a pastor who's struggling with sexual issues or sexual temptation of some kind. Don't assume you can white-knuckle this, uh, pray it away. Um, you, need to, you need to follow the, the advice out of the book of James and confess it uh, to someone that can handle that. Here's, a, here's another mm-hmm. uh, rather bold question. Uh, in fact, I had a conversation with someone recently about this, and they, they, they struggle with my response, and that is that and and this this leads to the role that the wife has in being accountable to the husband, and that the jury's always out of how much does a man share with his wife. Yeah. Uh, but the the piece that is difficult sometimes for us to really uh, the question that's hard to answer is does sexual addiction or or pornography in this case um, necessarily mean that a marriage is bad? Does it necessarily mean that it's it's happening because uh, th- th- there's just an extremely unhealthy relationship with a wife? Do you see sometimes where men are in a fairly healthy relationship with their wife, but they struggle with this? Absolutely. Um, I see a lot where a um, a wife is just floored because yeah. she thought that, everything was yeah, great. Yes. And he would say, I love my wife. Mm-hmm. This has nothing to do with and my she, wife. And she's stunned. She can't see why. Yeah, she is absolutely stunned. And he has. But what she doesn't realize is this issue predates her. Uh, he started looking at pornography when he was 12. Uh, he looked at pornography on and off and had maybe some other sexual partners before they ever got married. You can't unsee things. You can't stop remembering things. <laughs> And then now he's married to her. She doesn't know his past at all because, of course, he's never shared that. But And he thought, well, as soon as I get married, I'll have all the sex I want, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, if you're a married man, you know that's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> young men, I love to talk to married young men before they get married and think, you know, they say, I can't get, wait to get married for all the sex. <laughs> uh, I think it was... Um, the rating of this just went to R. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jeff Foxworthy said this. He said, if you're getting married because you think you're going to have unlimited sex, he said, that's like buying a 747 for the free peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, there's a whole lot more. Yeah, there's a whole lot more. And so um, the, what I have found, honestly, is that the condition of the marriage may or may not contribute to a man's sexually compulsive behavior. It's more of a, uh, of a spiritual issue, of a mental issue that he's been dealing with long before mm-hmm. she came and the, and the reason I bring this up, the reason it's been important to me in my counseling with guys and, and, and the wife, uh, because she, she is devastated. She thinks she's there's shattered. something wrong with her. Uh, it, it has a, a huge impact on her identity, on her sense of well-being, on, 
uh, how now how she views herself. I mean, not oh, just yeah. how he views her. Um, but so uh, setting up a, a a kind of a commitment, a healthy commitment uh, on her part to help him through this requires her maybe being able to separate that this is not because of me or about me, that there are some things he's been dealing with since before we met, as you stated. Mm -hmm. um, that helps her to be uh, more a partner in his healing. Does that make sense? And, what, and, and so here's the question. Uh, how do you get her there, mm -hmm. and what does she do to help him? And in what role does that have in his being vulnerable to her? Hmm, good. That's that's a big question. There's a lot of questions there. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try to answer one of them. <laughs> um, I, I I guess what I would say to her is that this is not her issue; it's his issue. Mm -hmm. Now she's a victim of it. Yeah, certainly. We don't she, want to take away from that. No, it's still it's yeah, it's still an her. offense to, against her. It's still a sin against her. Oh, and it not will, just against God. It'll leave a scar. Yeah, I'm just yeah. telling. And, you. and it could be damaging. And it, often is the marriage sometimes doesn't survive it. Yeah, but um, Dr. Patrick Carnes, who was my mentor, um, uh, he was Tiger's therapist at Pine Grove. He's kind of the godfather on this. He's a strong Christian man. He does, but in his material, he doesn't write it exclusively Christian mm -hmm. because the is issue isn't just exclusively Christian. But I know him, and he is a strong Christian. His daughter Stephanie wrote a book called "Mending a Shattered Heart," and it is specifically to the offended spouse. And it is specifically written, and I would recommend that book, Surviving Sexual, you know, a Marriage uh, or a Partnership Where Your Spouse has, has a Sexual Addiction. In that book, she gives several wonderful principles for that partner to heal, to become the, the person who can support. But again, it's not on the offended spouse to provide the healing mm -hmm. or the support for this person. They are going to be walking with it. Right. That's why I use the word partner in, partner in the healing. But the but the but the man in this particular case, uh, he has got to get some accountability in his life, and begin a path of healing. Uh, and there's also a way. We, there's a term you probably use it as well called therapeutic disclosure. Mm -hmm. And I don't recommend when somebody you know I've heard this before. Pastor, please don't ever say this to anybody. That a man comes forward and he says, "Look, I've got an issue with pornography." And my wife doesn't know, and I don't know what to do. Don't advise her him to tell her. Go home and tell her now. Mm -hmm. Don't advise mm -hmm. that. It's like handing her a hand grenade mm -hmm. with a pen out and saying, right. "Will you hold this?" Right. Boy, I feel better. I'm not holding that hand grenade anymore. You just pass it on. Yeah. You need to get some help first, and then understand how to disclose, when to disclose, mm -hmm. what to disclose, and you do that under guidance mm -hmm. to minimize the damage for That's her. That's good. I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't suggest that you just go home now and just confess to her because she won't know how to handle that. She's going to immediately take it personal. Mm -hmm. What have I done wrong? What's wrong with me? Why is he not interested in me anymore? And again, she doesn't realize this usually predates her. So here's the thing about sexual addiction. The majority of sexual addiction that I see now is pornography-based. It's not necessarily serial affairs. Now, it can lead to that. And there are affairs. There are men that I, I work with who've had serial affairs. But what's happened is, is since 2008, a concept called flash media came out, right? And pornography went from, it, it became the three A's, we call it, accessible, affordable, and anonymous. And so because you no longer have to be on a computer with a subscription to see it, mm -hmm. you've got it on your phone in your pocket, it has become accessible, it's affordable, it doesn't cost anything, mm -hmm. and it's anonymous. So let me give you a couple of statistics that are dated so we know it's worse, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> in 2003, there were 356,000 pages of pornography on the web. 2003. 356,000 pages. Mm -hmm. Okay. In 2010, the study was done again, and we determined there were 9 billion pages of wow. pornography on the web. Now, think about the, the growth chart in that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if a business yeah. went from revenue of 386,000 you know, uh, in uh, seven years mm -hmm. to nine billion, right? That's the growth of pornography on the web. Uh, the average uh, salary of a porn star in 2003 was $125,000. In 2010, the average salary of a porn star went to 7,500. Now think about that. What are we saying? We're saying that the supply has not only met demand, but exceeded demand. Mm -hmm. 
which is causing, I'm working with guys who are now 22 and working on a 10-year sexual addiction. They're not even dating anybody yet or engaged or married, and they are full-blown here. And to think that they're going to meet Mrs. Wright and get married and everything's going to be fine, mm-hmm. you know, or they're in a seminary, you know, and they've got a, a full-blown, long-term sexual addiction. Well, the brain now has been rewired toward that addiction. Mm-hmm. There needs to be some rewiring of the brain. Paul called it renewing of the mind in yeah. Romans 12 too, right? Yeah. But it's more than just praying and reading Scripture. That's an important part of it. But you need some real help. And so the tsunami, what I'm saying is, look, that's 2010. We have, I don't know the 19 stats yet or the 20 stats, mm-hmm. but we know it's increased. And so what we're seeing is a, a tsunami coming of sexual addiction in our world, in our country, for, for men because of the access to it. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. And the church is no different than the world on this one. Yeah, and that's that. That's definitely the. the I would say the reason. I'm going to say something, and you you go ahead and write emails. Uh, by the way, if you want to email me about this, my email is uh, Mitch Schultz at you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you were to survey a, I would say if you were to survey a football game audience mm-hmm. on sexually compulsive behavior, specifically pornography, and you were to survey a church congregation, I don't think the statistics would be very different. I agree with you. I mean, I pastored churches and. Um, again, I, I, I found myself, uh, I think, again, because I, was, I just loved investing in guys. I met with guys all the time, and there was a level of vulnerability, openness, accessibility there. Uh, guys, guys share, I mean, if they, if they can and they know it's safe, they share very freely with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it definitely it's, it's a reality in our churches. Let me, I meant to ask you this earlier. Sure. This might be a good time to ask. Um, how, how do you define addiction? And the reason why I want to, I want you to address that is: is there a difference between addiction and uh, just doing it? You know, because not everybody's addicted, but right. a lot of people are doing it. Right. <clears throat> a lot of people are going there under stress. And you, uh, the statistic that's been uh, really interesting has been with pastors that the day that they view pornography the most is Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening. Mm-hmm. You know, it is a go-to for, for, uh, mm-hmm. for us when we're stressful. And so is there a difference there between, is, in your concern, is there, are you as much concerned as the, with the addiction as you are the, the, the occasional habits mm-hmm. or experience with it? That's a great question. Go back to the chart or the scale I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, really, that scale is the best that we have out there. It's called a sexual dependency inventory. Mm-hmm. So the question I would ask a man is, how much do you depend on sex in your life? Mm-hmm. Now, that's whether that's sex with another person or sex with yourself, i.e. pornography. Mm-hmm. Here's, here, let me just erase the taboo on something real quick. Men don't look at pornography just to look at pornography. Men look at pornography to masturbate. Mm-hmm. That's just the reality. Every man I've ever worked with, uh, they hate to admit that, but it's really so. When I say you're having sex with another person or sex with yourself, that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And I'll use that term for the rest of the time, okay? Mm-hmm. But when you look at the scale, zero to twenty, where do you land on the scale? Some men look at sex as, you know, it's recreational, it's fun, it feels great, and you know, it's it's low on my spectrum of, of dependency. Some men look at it like bread, water, oxygen. The men that I work with who are sex addicts look at it like bread, water, oxygen. If I don't have uh, that experience, I will die. <laughs> Life's not worth living. Mm-hmm. This is, I can't manage without it. It's like bread, water, oxygen. So the guys that I work with who are full-blown addicts, as, we, as they get some sobriety under their belt, the conversations we have is that, you know, I don't need it like I did. Mm. I can breathe. Mm. I, you know, I realize if I didn't have it, Actually, the sun came up. I lived. It was okay. <laughs> so the man who is, you know, acts out compulsively, occasionally do, under, do, uh, to, because of stress, like you said, mm-hmm. or something, um, are there repercussions from that possibly? Yeah, there really could be. Uh, but I think there is sexually compulsive behavior, and then there are sexual addiction. And I mm-hmm. see those two as mm-hmm. separate. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a lot of the men that will come to me initially on uh, may have sexually compulsive behavior. And it may be because of the Holy Spirit's been convicting them 
or they almost got caught and there was fear mm. and they realized I need I need some help so they didn't hit the wall they just scraped the wall I, I use that terminology and then there are those who are in trouble and is where is the line there's not a blood test you can take there's not a line you can cross that says, ah, you just moved from sexually compulsive to now you're a sex addict, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't typically define a man as a sex addict. If he came to me to work with me until I would know his story extensively, he would take an SDI, and I would look at that spectrum and say, I think you may be a sex addict. But a lot of men, I, I say, I think you struggle with sexually compulsive behavior mm-hmm. that's going to get worse if you don't get it checked and work on it. So if he wants to label himself a sex addict, fine. I'm not going to at that point. Uh, Because sometimes that labeling, people think sex addict and sex offender are the same thing. They're not. I don't work with sex offenders. There's a big difference. Okay? So another way I like to frame that in light of your question is anything a man looks to to process his anxiety can become an addiction. If you study Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, it's a powerful passage Mm -hmm. of Scripture. Basically, what it talks about are flesh patterns there, too, right? Yeah. yeah. So what happens is a man might look, develop a coping mechanism. Like you said, a pastor, it's a Sunday night. He's exhausted. He's anxious. He, you know, he hit a foul ball in his sermon, mm-hmm. and he's anxious. So to process that anxiety, he doesn't drink scotch. He doesn't smoke weed. He'll look at porn. Mm-hmm. It's a drug just like the others. And what that can become is a process addiction, not a chemical addiction. Mm-hmm. So I, I like to ask men this question in discipling. What do you, how do you process your anxiety? Yeah. And leave the question yeah. there. Yeah, love it. Yeah. And you'll see sometimes deer in headlight looks, mm-hmm. and then you'll see the head drop, you know. But we all look to something to process our anxiety because mm-hmm. we all have anxiety of some kind, Right. And so the road forks in addiction. You've got chemical and you've got process. And chemical addiction is alcohol, drugs, pills, you know, those types of things. We would try to process our anxiety so we would look to an external chemical to come into our body and do that. Process addiction is another is a process we would look to to process that anxiety. So it could be sexual addiction. It could be gambling addiction. It could be gaming addiction. Now there are centers in the U.S. and in the U.K. Mm-hmm. for impatient gaming addiction. And people scoff at that and think, that's ridiculous. No, it's a process. Tell that to the young girl who just married a guy who, and the guy can't keep a job because he plays 10 hours of video games a day. Yeah, yeah. It's not a little issue or for Or in her. Japan, the mom brings food in the room so he doesn't have to leave. <laughs> right. And so this, that, that it can become a process addiction. So yeah. I work in the process addiction side of things. And sexual addiction would be considered something that... And so I like to try to help men understand why is it that that is your drug of choice, mm-hmm. right? And then you just peel back the layers because here's the thing. Sexual addiction and trauma are very closely connected. Very closely connected. Um, and so what can can happen is that earlier in life, there have been traumas that we dealt with well and there are traumas mm-hmm. we dealt with poorly. And it just is, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. Those can still be feeding some of that sexual, t- and when you understand that, you can, you can take a different course. All right, a guy, a guy who looks back now, and he's experienced tremendous victory, and mm-hmm. that encourages you, obviously, because that's what you're, that's the outcome you're hoping yeah, I see for. It. Yeah, what, what would they, what's the common thing that, that most people would look back and say, this was the, the key thing that happened, this is, this is why I changed. This is what led me to to move from addiction to uh, to healing or recovery. Can I answer that in two ways? Sure. You the can f- answer it in three ways if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you what I've not seen. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a man that had victory that white-knuckled it and kept it secret. Yeah. I, I just never heard that. That story may be out there. Mm-hmm. I've never heard that story. Mm-hmm. And maybe that story's not over if you think that's you already. <laughs> what I have seen work is for a man to find someone, I would say a pastor, a spiritual director, somebody that's of a spiritual nature mm-hmm. that can bring scripture and prayer into this. Uh, and, I, and I do. I, even if you're not mm-hmm. a Christian, I'll ask you, would it yeah. offend you if I pray? And yeah. No, it usually mm-hmm. doesn't offend them. So I think the power of the Holy Spirit is 
integral. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I also think that there's a plan and a process that you can go through where you, where you begin to understand why you do the things you do. Why is it that your brain is wired in such a way now? Because I don't want to get, this is hard to visualize, so I don't want to try to get too deep with this, but anytime a neuron in our brain, we have trillions of neurons in our brain, and anytime a neuron fires, it wires. Mm-hmm. And if it fires again, it wires. And if it fires again, it wires. Mm-hmm. And it becomes like a groove in a record. Okay? And the groove in a record, that needle gets in it and it just rides round and round and round. So a man will do the same thing over and mm-hmm. over and over and over until he doesn't understand even why he's doing it anymore. Mm-hmm. So if you have somebody that you can talk to who understands addiction, who understands the patterns of problematic behavior, ritualistic behavior, that can explain to you, this is why you, you do that. This is how your brain mm-hmm. is wired, and here's how you course correct that. Lots of literature on it. Um, yeah, there, and also personal experience. Uh, you know, we we're talking about. I think it, there's a an element of discipleship here because you're huge. You're looking for spiritual growth, and which requires victory. You know, overcoming. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number of times uh, I have referred a guy to someone else who's been through addiction recovery. I mean, like ex- extreme. You know, going away for two weeks somewhere. Right. And and he's really he he's he's been set free, and uh, and now this guy can go to him, and that that guy can share with him, you know, this is why it happened to me. It's probably why it's happening to you, and this is this is what happened to me, that almost damaged my marriage. I don't want that to happen to you. Right. And here's what you need to do to avoid that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, do you see that helping? Where someone who has gone through it can be a tremendous resource. I think it is a tremendous resource um, because they understand they've been there, mm-hmm. you know. They've and been and they, they, still, still, they still struggle too. These guys still fight off, you know. It's not like it, yeah. it never is gonna happen again. I mean, some of them right. have shared that they've had moments where they've lapsed and, and they gotta, you know, really work hard to, you know, avoid certain things. And, yeah. and, and often the wife or the spouse, because this does happen to women too, we've been talking mostly about men, mm-hmm. it does happen to women too, but the spouse needs to be part of that, uh, mm-hmm. that recovery, doesn't it, don't they? Yeah, I'd say 20, the statistics are about 25% of all sex addicts are female. Mm-hmm. So this isn't an exclusively male thing. Yeah. It's a dominant male yeah. thing. But I, you know, if you think about a stool with three legs, it's going to become stable, mm-hmm. right? And that's what men are struggling with sexual addiction. They're not stable. I mean, there's secrets, mm-hmm. there's fears, they get paranoid. There's, it's a ticking time bomb, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, I think there's really a three-prong approach to it. And the first is, is that you, I, this is what I would recommend. You meet with someone who understands this field that you can have one-on-ones with to get individual personal counseling around this, mm-hmm. this particular so professionally. Issue. Right, and not every counselor gets it. Mm-hmm. And so I have counseling centers in the metro Atlanta area that will refer to me, mm-hmm. uh, especially if they're working with a couple, mm-hmm. they'll refer the man to me because the couple's in trouble because of his sexual addiction. Right. And so I think that personalized, professional approach is, is leg number one on the stool. Mm-hmm. Okay. The second one, then, I think is to get into some accountability group where you can be real with other guys struggling with the same thing. The third, I think, is to get a sponsor from that group. Now, I believe in walking the 12 steps. I believe God gave the 12 steps to the world. <laughs> I, I understand how it got watered down and people are worried about higher power. <laughs> well, my higher power is Jesus mm-hmm. and, uh, and the Holy Spirit, God, always will be. But I think that's a three-prong approach that mm-hmm. I have seen effective mm-hmm. and for long Okay, term. so again, a, a professional yes. support, a support group, a sponsor, Someone from that support group. Right. I like that. Yeah. And without one of those elements, mm-hmm. now guys that just go to a group and a sponsor, they it helps. Mm-hmm. But when you have a place where you are with an individual and you're working through this over a period of time. So the men that I meet with, uh, typically in the very beginning, we might we meet once a week for a couple of months. And then maybe move to twice a month, mm-hmm. and then it might move to once a month. And then, you know, my programs was kind of a six to nine month program. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the process, I'm going to suggest that they get into an SA group of some kind in their area that walks the 12 steps. 
there's lots of churches that have them. You just don't know it yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or or a walking free program, breaking free. Uh, there's all kinds of different Christian versions of this that's popped mm-hmm. up. But I think you need that group support, and I think you need that that uh, that kind of peer who's been in the ditch with ditch before mm-hmm. and can kind of walk with you as a as a sponsor. That is the only methodology we know that's proven. And so if a man scores really high on the on the sexual dependency inventory and we send them and we suggest they go off to you know that's a scary <laughs> prescription mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when you tell a man you need to go to a pine grove or to the meadows or to the ranch or to any of these mm-hmm. treatment centers it, by the way you're going to be there 45 days and it's going to cost 45 grand mm-hmm. i mean that just is too much for a guy oftentimes he'll lose his job you yeah. know what's he going to tell yeah. the family um, short of that even if they go off to those situations and come back, that inpatient place will still prescribe what I just prescribed. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Get with the counselor. So, okay, get here, with a group. Okay, um, and let's probably wrap up with this. Uh, what's the role of the church in in this? Uh, what what would you what would you like to see the church do better? And I mean, we've touched on this through this conversation, but how would you sum that up? What what can the pastor do better? What can leadership do better? Uh, what you know, a guy comes to church. He's struggling with this. It's tearing up his family. Mm-hmm. Um, the phrase I use a lot of times in church with things, you know, we we hush and rush. You know, <laughs> don't talk about it, get help, and then when you're better, come back. Yeah. What needs to change? I think that first off, I would recommend that the pastor, the associate pastors, the caring pastors, whoever is on the front lines of the ministry, develop a relationship with somebody in your community that understands sexual addiction, mm-hmm. a professional. Uh, hopefully with a faith-based background of some mm-hmm. kind that you can personally refer to. And so when I'm, so if you're talking with someone and they, this comes out, you, it's been identified now, mm-hmm. you, cannot, you can not, instead of saying go to, you know, so-and-so said counseling center, that's scary, mm-hmm. I want you to meet a friend of mine mm-hmm. named William or John or Mark or whoever. And uh, let, me, let me introduce you to, and then you kind of make a bridge Mm-hmm. Uh, for that person to then talk to somebody that really understands it. This is a unique field. And you can't just... There are many counselors out there that are amazing in all kinds of, uh, of therapy, but this is a specialized field mm-hmm. that if they're not uh, really specialized in and you just refer to generic counselor, mm-hmm. they may, you know, they need the referral, so they wing it. Mm-hmm. Or they refer again. Now this guy's been referred to two or three different people down the line. He's disillusioned. Is there any help for me? Yeah. Yeah. So the first step I would say is find someone in your area that is a faith based that understands sexual addiction that you can personally make an introduction to. That's mm-hmm. the first thing I would do. Second thing I would do is I would begin to talk about it. I would bring it up. You can bring mm-hmm. it up vaguely in sermons that. You know, it, church is a place of grace. You know, this this issue is no different than any other sin in the world, right? It's mm-hmm. sin is sin. We all we're all recovering from the addiction to sin. Um, I would say begin to read. Uh, so so let it become in your sermons. Mm-hmm. Maybe host an evening one night of how to talk to your children about pornography. You know, what will happen is the fathers and the mothers will mm-hmm. come to that, and it's really them, mm-hmm. but they want. <laughs> If you hold a workshop and, and then bring in a professional mm-hmm. to do that, if you hold a workshop on how you know how to deal with pornography in your life, nobody's going to come, mm-hmm. right? If, well, what I did one time though, we had we would have a large men's breakfast. I would not tell them that that was going to be the topic at the next go. one, but we had the best egg uh, casserole contest. <laughs> Uh, imaginable. I mean, that's seriously what we that's did. That's a great idea. And then when they showed up, hey guys, I'm talking about this today. <laughs> that's a great idea. Let them see that it's in the Bible. Yeah, it's yeah, it's nothing good. new. Uh, mm. You know, st- spout the statistics on it, but then also talk about the hope and the healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe bring in a sto- te- someone give a maybe testimony. somebody give a testimony yeah. that's just a normal person who you know dealt with this and has now got yeah, victory. That's good. Um, but I think. And then also education. Um, there are lots of resources out there. I would say Every Man's Battle mm-hmm. is a, sorry, Steve, it's a good book. 
It doesn't provide <laughs> a lot of answers. It provides the situation without many answers. Yeah. Uh, there are some more technical books out there. I would mm-hmm. um, Mark Laser, L-A-A-S-E-R. Yeah, I've read that one. That's very good. Healing from mm-hmm. the Bonds of Sexual Addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patrick Carnes wrote the textbook on it called Out of the Shadows. If you want to know what the textbook on understanding sexual addiction is, it's the book called Out of the Shadows by Patrick Carnes. His daughter, Stephanie, uh, she was also one of my mentors. She wrote a companion workbook to his therapy work called mm-hmm. In the Shadow of the Cross. Mm. It's excellent. Mm. It talks about understanding sec- uh, sexual addiction from a Christian perspective. Mm-hmm. But it, it, I think it combines the best clinical work along with good theology. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not liked. And so I think if for a pastor, for a church to just start getting some understanding around it. Yeah, and yeah I, love, I love the, uh, we'll put those resources on my website. And yeah, well, this, is, this has been, of all my podcasts, the rawest, most real, <laughs> vulnerable. No, it's good. That's what I wanted. That's what we need. Uh, so I, I really, really appreciate you being you know, very upfront and you're going to put that like explicit warning. I will have to put on something <laughs> on, the, on the top of it. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I don't think my two listeners will care. So <laughs> Just call them fine. in advance. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's um, right. Like I told you on my podcast, we have tens of listeners. Tens of listeners. It's so encouraging. It, it lets, it gives me hope that mine will reach that height. Right. Mark, thank you so much. This has been uh, enlightening. It's been great to spend the time, uh, this day with you. Uh, they don't know that I had two other interviews with you before this. About and, you. Uh, yeah, yeah about you interviewed you. me. Right. So yeah. hopefully those, I'm, I'm planning on putting you need those to put them on, on the website good. as well. Yeah. So yeah. Let me, well, let me give a parting word if you Yeah, don't mind. please do. I was going to ask you for a final yeah. thought. Uh, I don't know how you stumbled onto this podcast. I don't know who those, both of those listeners are that you mm-hmm. have. Um, <laughs> but let me say this, that if you have struggled in any way with sexual addiction, uh, sexually compulsive behavior, uh, a, a thought life that if it were exposed, you'd be mortified. Mm-hmm. Um, there is hope for you. There mm-hmm. is healing for you. you. This is an issue that you can experience freedom. When Jesus, the, the job description of the Messiah in Luke 4 was that he came to set the captives free. Mm-hmm. That's what the Messiah does. And if you are in the, in the bounds of shame, uh, of, of addiction like this, or even just compulsive behavior, Jesus wants to set you free from that. Uh, reach out to someone. Um, if I'm not in your area, I can refer to someone in your area uh, or try to help you get that connect. Uh, I actually have several clients I work with online. I have mm. people in different states. Mm. I have people in different countries I work with online. We've never met mm. personally, but we look at each other face to face and we work through this. Uh, I'm a pastor. I understand all the issues that come with this as a pastor. Uh, and so there's help for you. That's what I want to leave you with. You don't have to deal with this on your own anymore. Excellent. Good, good. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it so much. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. Love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. So until next time, stay encouraged. Be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged.